to Break the Boxes Stories on WMBR 88.1 FM Boston Radio. I'm Esmira, and this is the first episode of our third season. As you know, with Break the Boxes Stories, each season is seven episodes. And our first season, we explored the creative process, specifically with folks who have done um, different creative ventures, whether they're books or a separate podcast or other creative things that fill their spirit, um, conferences or gatherings. Um, the second season focused in on spirit spirituality more specifically. And the third season, we're continuing to explore how the creative process can enhance spiritual and mental well-being, focusing in on financial health and well-being, why that matters, why that's important when we think of a sense, cultivating a sense of wholeness um, and security. So I am geeky giddily excited <laughs> for um for the conversation we're about to embark on um we are really honored i'm honored to be sitting down with a dear 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 beloved of mine who i met um my first time coming up to harvard divinity school in 2016 um alexa klein meyer so alexa is many things. <laughs> um, she is um, someone who's really special to me. So she was born and raised in Washington, D.C., the occupied Anacostan and Piscataue land. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Alexa is a guitarist, nerd, and third-year MDiv student at Harvard Divinity School who enjoys geeking out about relationships, movement, and spirituality. Recently, Alexa learned that there are no gendered pronouns in Finnish and thinks that's very cool. Alexa um, is a Buddhist practitioner and studied on the Plum Village Monastery, which is where some of you may be familiar with the work of Thich Nhat Hanh, where he um, practices and, and studies. And she's just all around an amazing human who has humbly asked for me not to gas her up so much. So I'm doing my best not to. But anyway, <laughs> welcome, Alexa. How are you Thank feeling? You. I'm feeling happy to be here with you. Yeah. Uh, the feeling is so mutual. Um, I, hmm, I'm really happy that we're able to sit down together. I feel like I alluded to us sitting down and now it's finally taking place. So <laughs> I'm sitting in that wonder, like, hmm, where do we go from here? <laughs> so many places to start. Um, but I thought maybe we could just begin with um, what brought you to your spiritual journey and practice? Um, I met you, um, I'll always remember when I met you what I was going through inside <laughs> that, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell on the outside. I do this really good thing of just smiling and hoping people don't really <laughs> inquire more, but um, your listening ear when we were, when we came up for um, diversity and explorations program. Um, yeah. Something that I always allude back to and I think reiterate to over iterate to you. Um, but I know that you had been studying religion for four years when we met um, at Northwestern. And I remember asking you why 
you wanted to study theology and you, well, you asked me why I wanted to, and I, I don't think I really knew. So I asked you and you said, well, I believe that religion at its best can increase empathy and understanding and at its worst um, can increase violence and warfare. And that always has stuck with me. So I want to open up for you to talk about what, what's brought you to your spiritual practice. Yeah, I think that um, probably similar to so many people, I think the first thing that really sparked my interest in religion and spiritual practice is suffering. My grandma died when I was in fifth grade very suddenly. And I had gone to Christian elementary school. So services were always a part of, services and God were always a part of my education. Um, so I knew about a benevolent God. I knew about an all powerful God, but I hadn't really questioned that in any way. And when my grandma died really suddenly, and this was somebody who was one of the people who loved me the most and who I loved the most. And, and when she died suddenly, it was like, who is this God that people have been talking about? And so really that kind of initial question of like, why do bad things happen to good people? And how does that fit into this notion of an all powerful, all-knowing God, benevolent God. Mm -hmm. um, that was, I started grappling with that in fifth grade and just being like, I need to, this doesn't make sense to me in the Christian tradition. And I, I need to, I know that there are other traditions out there and um, rich with wisdom, rich with their own practices. And like, I went searching. And so I think that's just kind of been the path I've been on ever since. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but suffering, suffering was a big catalyst. Mm, wow. And at such an early age that you have that recollection, not just of your grandmother pass, passing, but the, the suffering that that imbued onto you such that it moved you, right? Because a lot of people might, you know, you suffer, but then, you know, you, however one moves through that or grieves through that, you know, might just move on, but that you were compelled to continue to seek um answers what did you what brought you to 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 i imagine that brought you to buddhist practice as you were seeking because when, when we met you had been deep in your practice that was something that was so apparent to me um, and so did you find in your wandering um soon after fifth grade buddhism or how long did that take you I think I remember coming across like meditation. I don't remember and actually studying some other forms um, or learning about, you know, fifth to say study in fifth grade feels a little bit um, too goofy, but my mom did get me like these very basic books like geared towards my age about other religions and so I remember being really struck by um the ch child's introduction to Islam like being very struck by uh child's introduction to Jainism and a picture of a monastic walking 
with a face mask and also a brush Mm. that they would sweep out their path as they were walking to avoid crushing bugs that like just the the attention to not causing harm was Mm. so striking to me but in terms of Buddhism specifically I think it took probably until high school or early college for that to be a specific tradition that I I was interested in and mm. having questions about um yeah mm-hmm. well I'm picturing the um sort of the monastic sweeping but paying close attention to make sure not to to cause harm to like the bugs on its path yeah that, I mean in our conversation just before this <laughs> when I was like so you do this and this and this and this too and you're like dude I'm just a bug yeah. <laughs> um is there any yeah. correlation there is that just coincidence oh my gosh well there's so many really I, I feel like a kind of um you know within a worldview and a cosmology in which of of rebirth right there is the questions of like well how do i treat how do i treat every single living being um and so like am i going to kill this mosquito even though like this mosquito could be my a a past parent a past loved one a past enemy like it's just this Mm. really rich world of relationality that um I think is so raises such different ethical questions for me than just if I understood Mm. my life and my existence and our kind of collective lives and existences as just a single linear path I want to talk a little bit about the piece that I read I'm going to link this piece here for you all. Um, It's a reflection that Alexa wrote um, here as a student. And I just, the archivist in me loves to just scour the interwebs and find fun things about people I love. (laughs) And this one piece, um, she's reflecting on, um, you mentioned your Zen Buddhism class. And and, um, this was also building on some of the reflections that came up, I believe, in one of those classes. And you said, I see now that our class was like a rakusu. I hope I'm saying that right. We arrived as individual swatches of fabric, each with a particular color, texture, and pattern, becoming stitched together over the course of the semester and taking on a shared hue from our learning and practicing together in community without losing the particularities of our textures. While I cannot predict what fruits our practice of not knowing might bear in the future, I hope that we will continue bearing witness to the seeds we planted and tended together this semester. And that metaphor of not just fruits, um, but also the fabric, the stitching, you know, we believe, we, I, um, just the collective mind space um, that's been meditating on what does it mean to, to break a box? Why are we breaking the box? Like, how is a box broken? It's like, oh, it's, it's the opposite of rigidity and, and confinement and classifications. It's, it's fluid, but also our lives are interwoven like sacred threads. Um, and you, you mentioned the not knowing, the practice of not knowing. What has that practice of not knowing, what has it done for you? 
how have you seen the practice of not knowing show up for you in your life? Like in so many ways, like that's kind of my, despite my, um, there, there are so many places in my body that are like, we know stuff, we know stuff, we are authorities on things, we want to be experts on things, and, and the sort of overwhelming reality is that is of not knowing just like I don't know what's going to happen in the next second like I don't mm. there are all these sorts of, of assumptions that I coast on you know expecting that they'll happen ex- expecting that I know how xyz will work um, and I think coming back to not knowing is like coming back to humility, coming back to compassion, mm. Um, mm. coming back to a beginner's mind that is just open and curious and not, not with the arrogance, like mm. knowing, knowing can have a lot of really beautiful qualities of mm-hmm. like intimacy and relationship. Mm-hmm. And it can also come with arrogance and assumptions you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that was powerful knowing can come with a lot of great qualities like intimacy right Ooh, and what a topic that we we have touched on yeah because there's there's so many i think Thich Nhat Hanh has defined love as like knowing knowing someone like really knowing them right like mm-hmm. you can't have love without knowing but i wouldn't totally commit to that paraphrase of, of one of his teachings um mm-hmm. but but I think yeah understanding the- maybe it was about understanding you can't have love without understanding and knowing and understanding are very different so yeah um but yeah I think that um a practice of not knowing is is really for me about a practice of being curious and being sensitive to my own limitations and um, and sensitive to just the unpredictability, the vastness, the chaos of what it means to be alive on this planet um, and to not to not be so confident that I'm in control mm. of what I think I'm in control of. It's, it's just, it touches on so much, not knowing it like mm-hmm. such a place of resistance and um, <laughs> yeah. And mm. yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing surrender also. Yeah. Um, Big and time. Like, ooh, ooh, yeah. For, for, for those of us who I can speak for myself who, who has had who has felt often oh, I feel like I need to um, who has felt the need to try to control circumstances around me as forms of protection mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right um, that the art of surrender of wait maybe I don't know I probably don't know what's going on. 
And that reminds me of other times when I didn't know what was going on and I was hurt. So now I'm, I'm trying to hold on to whatever I think I know so that I won't recreate that hurt. But in that process, I'm actually closing myself off from a lot of wonder and a lot of goodness too. And so the art of, I'm thinking of like becoming soft, <laughs> right? Like if, if who we are at our core is love and I'm building on a lot of bell hooks, of course, um, and then my work becomes what are the what are the things still um, that are keeping me or blocking me to borrow your language, blocking me from feeling the qualities that I want to feel, like that are based in love. So compassion, understanding, joy, generosity, kindness. Um, and what better place, at least in my experience to really exercise that or to really see where I'm at than with family. <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, it's like where, you know, the people who you love and who you've grown with, who also know your triggers and just can say one thing and and then and here I am. <laughs> I thought I've grown from that, but oh, I feel like I'm right back here in 2002. What happened, you know? <laughs> so, um, I mean, just that reminder that there, that not knowing is a practice and that it can be powerful in, in letting go. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, also, like I can have a tendency to, um, different tendencies. I have many different tendencies, but one tendency Hello. is to go to a place of expertise or authority or um you know and so that's kind of mostly what I was talking about in relation to not knowing really challenging and shaking up but there's also a tendency that I have to not acknowledge my internal authority and to sort of dismiss some things that I do know or to question or doubt mm -hmm. this real internal knowing that that I've need to cultivate and know that know that it's already there at the same time mm -hmm. and so there's a tension there too right of mm -hmm. how do I practice not knowing and also how do I practice knowing in a healthy and ethical way and mm -hmm. knowing my from a place of internal authority and um, real felt sense of what like what do I know um mm -hmm. and how do I move from those places so yeah I was just like I've been talking about not knowing and you know we've talked about sort of letting go of the control and, and there's this other component too that I think is so important of standing in what I know and and being more assertive from a place of internal authority while also staying sort of fluid and open Mm -hmm. with the not knowing you know it's just like it's all it's all there and all is happening and all needs to be happening um but yeah just not throwing out one for the other right yeah what I'm trying to do right now <laughs> thank you it's sort of what I feel like you, you gently invite me to do at times of like hey but like you can just own like oh, okay I think yeah no you know what you're talking to me <laughs> I, I I hear you I hear you there and I um, I think it's a really, yeah, it's a fine, it's, it's a tightrope 
it seems. <laughs> Maybe it yeah, doesn't have or, to be a tightrope, but like, yeah, there's like this side and this side. Well, there's a great metaphor that the Buddha used in one of his teachings about um, there was a student of his who was practicing really, really, really hard and didn't feel like he was getting anywhere with his practice and was thinking about leaving the monastic order and basically went to the Buddha like, what, what is happening? I'm so diligent. I'm practicing so intently and like, I'm not seeing any fruits of my practice. And as it turns out, this monk was a musician in the past, like before he became a, a monk, he, he was a musician and he, he played the lute or something. And the Buddha says to him, well, when your instrument was tuned too tightly, mm. could you play well? And like, did it, did it sound good? And, and the monk said, no. And the Buddha said, well, when the string was too loose, could you play well? Did it sound good? And the monk said, no. And the Buddha said, in just the same way, like your practice needs to be neither too tight nor too loose in order for it to really resonate and mm. be able to play. Um, and mm. that looks different for every person, right? You know, like there are some instruments that are tuned very differently than other instruments. Like mm -hmm. I just started trying to learn how to play the cello and it's a totally different land than playing a guitar and relating to a guitar. Um, mm. And I didn't know even how to tune it at first because it was just has different tuning components in a guitar um, and requires like a different touch. So did you find that your guitar practice, though, like it prepared you well enough to be able to like it gave you some uh some tools. It gave me only arrogance, arrogance, <laughs> the arrogance and confidence of approaching a totally different stringed instrument and being like, I got this. Yeah, like, and just sitting so down funny. being like, I don't even know how to tune this, you know, talk about a moment of not knowing. Um, and, and yeah, no, I have to totally learn a different technique because it's a different instrument. And so I'm still trying to play it like I would a guitar and it's just it's not going to be the proper technique <laughs> um, but yeah um so that notion of like too tight or too loose and and what that looks like depending on mm. you know your own your own instrument like your own sense of yourself mm. as an instrument your own practice yeah. wow what a beautiful metaphor yeah and sometimes it's really fun to play out of tune too you know like sometimes even if you're all the strings are really loose and like almost slack like yeah you're not going to be able to play along with a band or I don't know or like play a pop song if you're out of tune but you can find a whole different sound sometimes if you're not so 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 loose but looser than usual yeah. um so it's interesting to think about that metaphor also as a musician and um, mm -hmm. yeah oh wow how, how have we already gotten to the hour that makes no sense to me a long story about a dung worm <laughs> yeah that was a good start <laughs> dung worms and instruments for the win
plunge. I'm thinking of bungee jumping. Um, with so the interesting plunge. because I thought when I think about plunge, I think about plunging into water, like oh, you know, like somebody jumping into water and just like going down. Um, oh, I see. It. And I see so it was really interesting to to hear for you that plunge was about like plunging off a cliff with a bungee you know it's like oh yeah that's I wasn't even thinking about that I was thinking about jumping <laughs> off a diving board you know right where like you diving board you know the what you're gonna fall on you know the water's there you yeah. know it's you really know, it's like not so deep but yeah plunging off a cliff that's yeah a different, <laughs> that's the different level <laughs> my mind thought of like that's a great metaphor for like risk and reward though like if you can fly, ooh, that changes the way that you see yourself in the world from here on out, you know? And then if you can't fly, that also changes <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that what, the way that it was framed to me in the context of Zen Peacemaker Order is our, our tendencies towards controlling are so strong that sometimes it takes going so far outside of your element and like plunging into something, which for me is also, I don't say I practice as well, but just this real sense of letting go um, that I think you really captured in talking about a bungee, like just the faith to jump off and just hope that that thing catches you um yeah but that like what it's almost like really putting yourself into the shape of not knowing and like mm. not being in control not being your element and like what happens then spiritually you know mm. <laughs> and even just thinking about like well you know they encouraged us to think about like what where are you going to plunge like what what are you going to do as a plunge practice Mm. you know over the next months and my mind immediately went to like oh like would this be a, a plungy enough thing for me to do or you know trying to kind of calculate the risk right or the mm. vulnerability that something would require and and um mm. yeah so it really speaks to I think a very uh strong tendency towards control and and to not really going so far out into something new that there's that vulnerability um mm. Mm. yeah mm. yeah it's a provocative and enticing thought to like like what would it take to physically like to view yourself taking on a new shape like how much compassion might one offer, might one typically not be inclined to offer, but in imagining yourself as a shape and all that a shape might have to go through to become a different shape, might you be compelled to offer yourself when thinking about just trying new things creatively? I mean, that's what we're talking about here is like cultivating the, the courage to create, you know? I remember that was the name of a book that we read in, in, in undergrad um, in a theater class was like the courage to create. So whoever's listening right now, if there's something that you've been wanting to create, but questioning your ability to, I encourage you to just let yourself for, I don't know, 15 minutes, just start there and <laughs> just like, let yourself do it. 
like what if you can <laughs> you know um and 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 yeah and, and and allow yourself I'm having such a wonderful time with this conversation and I don't want it to end and I'm just thinking like wow I'm so glad like just thinking about again like when when this started I was super nervous and now I'm just observing myself like oh a lot less nervous and like whoa this is really enjoyable whoa like what if this never you know like <laughs> what a, what a gift what a sweet treat um may we create wall afraid um just this notion of shape um, I, I was actually thinking in terms of Liz Lerman, who's a dancer and choreographer who I feel really inspired by. Um, I went to a talk that she gave a couple years ago as she was chore choreographing a dance about witches. And she talked about some of the warm up practices that she had the dancers do to really mm -hmm. tap into embodied emotion. And hmm. she talked about like putting yourself in the shape of anger, hmm. even if you might not be feeling angry, like what does it look like to put your body into the shape of an emotion? Hmm. Whether again, whether you're feeling it or not feeling it in that moment and like, hmm. what does it do to you to hmm. put yourself, put your body and put yourself in the shape of something. And I've been so struck by that notion and thinking about another teacher, uh, interplay teacher who talks about, you know, if you're not willing to dance or to move, is there the willingness to become willing? Like mm, mm -hmm. going back to incrementality, mm -hmm. it's like, you don't have to be a hundred percent a believer or like there or um but is there some part whether that's just like the pinky finger that's like willing to dance right or has a willingness to become willing mm -hmm. and for me there's a real connection there between putting yourself in the shape of something mm. even before knowing if you're ready even before knowing if you have all the resources to do it like before all the questions about how am I going to do this perfectly? All those things. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, could I put myself in the shape of creativity, right? Yeah. Um, and then see what happens yeah, <laughs> as yeah. opposed to, um, yeah. And, and like, what shapes do we already put ourselves in day to day? Because mm -hmm. I think that's the other piece is like the awareness of, of not just what you're stepping into, but also kind of what you're stepping out from. Um, you know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. Oh. What, yeah. Ooh, that, yes, that just felt like a glass of cold water on a hot, sunny day. Like that, just the, the idea of how aware can we be of the shape that we're putting ourselves into so that we can know we have the choice to choose a different shape if we want to. How And how often even that takes work just to acknowledge the shape that we're putting ourselves in. I mean, I'm thinking of this in the context of I know my body like the past few days has been really like I've been feeling the weight of my bones from traveling, mm -hmm. but also from not moving, not really doing capoeira or being in my movement, whatever it is, you know, and what if I were to characterize that not being or characterize that state as a shape, maybe mm -hmm. for me, that's like a 
a, a, bl- a blob for right now. And then like, maybe I want to like blobs are okay too, you know, um, like everything belongs, but like, okay, maybe I want to like, I don't know, become, become a shrub. I don't know. Like you can choose whatever, <laughs> whatever shape you want to become. But to me, it's, it's, it's capturing that principle of Ah, like, because to me, the shapes are also the thoughts, behaviors, patterns, right? Like that contribute to our quality of being, how deeply I'm able to feel. I've been feeling a little stagnant. I've been feeling like I'm feeling things, but I don't even know how to talk about how I'm feeling. And that feels really like, I feel like a, a cork in the wine bottle. Like, I feel like I'm just there, <laughs> you know, it's like, um, to loosen me up though let, let me like change shape like these conversations are the massage of the okay hey you can you can become any shape you want to be yeah that was really really profound the, the awareness of what shape you are so that you can choose which one you want to maybe you don't know which one you want to become but you just in observing that you are a shape then you acknowledge the possibility of being a different shape yeah, in interplay, they talk about, you just reminded me of two things. One is the physicality of grace. Mm. Like, we know the physicality of stress. Like, mm. you know what stress feels like in your body, what overwhelm feels like in your body. And we can also have a felt sense of grace and a felt knowing of grace just in the same way. Mm. Just like the physicality of grace. Mm. Um, and they also say a lot like if you want to change your life change your practice Mm. which you know (laughs) given my relationship to practice it gets back to this notion of shape it's not just like are you stepping into a different creative practice or Mm -hmm. it's like we're already practicing things all the time and so it's not the notion of adding or, or like mm. beginning to practice it's like we're already practicing things so you want to continue those practices or change those practices and then like what conditions do you need to change that practice mm. um, but it also fits back into this notion of incrementality which is like it's our day-to-day practices that build up into larger things you know and so mm. those those things all together the physicality of grace like that we can have a real felt knowing of Mm. of what it feels like like I don't want to assume anything or use too broad of statements but it's like I know what creativity feels like in my body Mm -hmm. it's not something I experience every day but like I've had a taste in different moments of like creative power and joy and then it can become like well what were the conditions that made that possible not just to get kind of clean and attached to that feeling, you know, not out of a place of sort of control and attachment and clean, but from a place of like, no, like you, you've known this, you've felt this before. Yeah. And so it's not some impossible thing that needs X, Y, Z to come together perfectly, but like, you know, this, you can access this. Hello. Um, so and like step-by-step step, increment incrementally, you know, sensitizing yeah. to that. Yeah. And, and that power of, of 
ooh, what you, we're the principle that we're always practicing our, a way of being. We're practicing a way of being. So that rather than thinking of it, I've, I've been, I've seen myself caught in that fog before many a time where it's, it's a way of thinking where, oh, I need this, 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 and this in order to, right? Like if I had this, then I would, as opposed to, it's like the if then binary, which kind of creates this principle. It separates self from the state of being that I actually desire to call in. Um, and so when you stated like, there always is a practice at play, it's not necessarily a matter of what I want to add on, but also what do I want to take away? Like, for example, I'll use a great example. Love the social media and all, but I'm aware for myself, like, hmm, okay, <laughs> there is, there's a practice. I got into a good practice. Cool. I'll post. I delete every, all the apps. Doesn't matter. And then I come back when I'm ready to post again, you know, a week later, a month later. Right. Um, because in, in me, in, in me choosing to engage, and I know I'm not the only one here, hopefully, <laughs> um, um, in terms of folks that are listening, but observing what each practice, what each action is, is calling, is, is bringing up for us, or what state of being. So I observe, ah, when I'm scrolling, I'm really, you know, right, am I, am I present? Am I actually feeling connected to my body? No, I'm having, it's like an overstimulation of thoughts and, and, and all these things that can go south anytime, right? <laughs> it opens up to, opens self up to a lot of different things that um, one person to characterize it as, you know, what if we viewed like waking up and scrolling on, on social media, for example, as the equivalent to waking up and inviting like 20 people into your house before you've even brushed your teeth or gotten to like, you know, like have your morning coffee or your morning tea, you know, like how does that like imagine, like imagining it as that physical presence changes things for our ability to understand and see how it actually might impact our quality and state of being. And so it's like, oh, okay, like what, what, what am I practicing right now that maybe I need to, I just need to take away, like what would, or, or exchange, right? Like you said, just change, just change the practice. Um, and that feels so empowering to me, just the, the awareness of the choice. Like at any given moment, um, you can choose to do one thing differently. I can choose to do one thing differently. And in the context of someone who's experienced trauma, um, that can be, um, I think that can not always be the easiest thing to do, to do something differently. Um, and it's not without resistance and strain and, and, and sometimes pain. But, um, but that, that what it opens up is for like a, a capacity to feel more deeply, to breathe more, a little more easily. <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm really so in love with interplay practice right now in terms of my own spiritual life. And, and what you're just saying, it's like, yeah, that that reminds, they have, I think, eight sort of principles or things that they root in. And, and so we've talked about some of them already, like incrementality, internal authority, physicality of grace. But another one that's really important is just affirmation, right? Like there's, 
the difficulty of creating that change, mm -hmm. both in the face of systems that are not at all set up for change mm -hmm. and like are hostile and threatened, hostile to and threatened by change. Mm -hmm. And then there's our own internal worlds also, which, you know, so much resistance can come up to change. And it's not, I don't think incrementality is enough. It's also about incrementality plus affirmation. And like, mm. are you celebrating that first step that you took to, you know, pick up a pen and, and write for five minutes? Like they really emphasize in interplay communities, like affirmation can be something that you can do all the time. Like, and we should, like not that we should but yeah. you know but like could I like floss my teeth and like affirm wow like I'm taking care of my body right now like yeah. you know and like thank you um yeah. or just I, I think sometimes part of my perfectionism is like I don't deserve affirmation unless it's a big deal you know unless right. I get to this place that I really deserve to be celebrated or like deserve to be affirmed because right it's like a, a big occasion. Like, yeah. I like worked really hard. According to whose metric, right? Like right. society's metric of like what's worthy of being affirmed, which would be right. all these out external things that often might not even bring internal joy. Yeah. And like, what if, what if we had this practice of both taking incremental steps, but also celebrating each one of those, like whether it's the tiniest step, just be like, oh my gosh, yes, like I opened up my cello case today or whatever it is, you know? And, yeah. and like that being just part of the practice too. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, and and the different places of resistance that that brings up for me too and different, you know, like the deservingness stuff of like, well, I can't celebrate this because this is such a small, small step. And it, it's that's... Like that's such a um, totally encouraged within this this practice yeah. and community that I've, I've really yeah. been fed by recently. So it reminds me of a of a, a verse. Um, I think it's Luke six ten. Like it's of course it's you know uh, the language is he who who is faithful in little um, will be faithful in much. This idea like if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, a mustard seed. God can do wonders with that, you know? And so then finding, I've been in love with this song called Million Little Miracles. Oh my gosh. I've just been in love with it, playing it over and over again. And it's like the, the lyrics are like, I, I, like I've, I've, got, I've seen miracles on miracles, a million little miracles. Like there's just a million little miracles happening. Like if we're orienting ourselves toward like, seeing those miracles um right and it's not sort of like this abject kind of like naivete of like not acknowledging the harm and the wrong and the bad that's happening in the world but it's also expecting good <laughs> expecting great um greatness there was a Another brilliant metaphor you shared I remember we were in the car leaving the just listening workshop with Ben and Alexa and you are sharing about this principle of like you can trust what you're going to fall on if you're falling like can mm -hmm. you talk can you can you 
share that <laughs> for the yeah yeah there was um this is another metaphor from the Pali canon from the suttas um the Buddha's discourses that were recorded in the Pali canon and what I remember and it's been a couple of years but was this notion of cultivating virtue being like a, a tree leaning towards a certain direction. It's not necessarily that we'll get to the place, but like, which direction are you leaning? And, and if the tree was cut, where, what direction is it gonna fall, you know? Um, and so I think that sort of, it's almost indirect. It's, or it, it's, when I say indirect, it's, it doesn't necessarily fit into an image of, oh, I'm gonna practice this, I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna practice mindful, mindfulness meditation, I'm gonna be calm, I'm gonna be attentive, I'm gonna be caring, I'm gonna be compassionate. Like, it's less place-oriented or, and more just directional. It's like, am I moving in the direction of kindness? And would, where would I fall if I were, you know, where's my weight leaning right now? Where's sort of my energy leaning right now? Mm. Almost where's my momentum taking me? What direction is my momentum taking me if I were to really mm. be pushed or, or mm. to fall in the direction I'm leaning? And I just, yeah, I think that's such a beautiful image that really, focuses less on control and getting somewhere like if and mm. a much more subtle sort of reorientation to mm. space and and moving through space mm. Um, mm. there's something really interesting I've been studying Pali at the Div school which is a uh, one of the oldest scriptural languages of Buddhism and um grammatically there isn't a lot there's different passages in which someone's enlightenment is being described and the voice shifts from an active voice of like Alexa went to the riverbank mm -hmm. to much more passive like the flame went out or you mm. know um without a causal force there you know like mm. it wasn't Alexa blew out the candle and the candle went out it's like mm. the candle went out um mm. something happened and that grammatical shift one of my professors was like that actually is communicating something in the structure that grammar is communicating how mm. this process happens it's like not out of sort of our own force and will that it's like I am enlightened or I become mm. enlightened or it's like it happens mm -hmm. <laughs> outside of a sense of an eye and an agent and mm. um mm. and you know coming from a culture like an English dominant culture mm -hmm. where I remember growing up the passive voice like still in school like the passive voice is seen as something that you should avoid using as much as possible wow. you want to use the active voice to keep the reader engaged and and have a clear sense of subject and object and all these things 
to have that totally flipped in this other language where things are always happening through the passive voice and that's actually mm. has its own virtue and ethic to it as wow. opposed to really centering the active voice mm-hmm. that's something that's really stuck with me a sense since. of mystery almost it's it's yeah I think of the poetics that's that like the space in between that that's that offers itself to a, sen- a so- sort of poetry like it opens up space for question and mystery and wonder. I'm wondering who the subject is or who the object is. And right. you know, the, how did this happen? Because yeah. it didn't happen from an I. It wasn't just like right. A move to B and C happened. It's like, yeah. It's almost like like in in that in that structure that in and of itself, as you said, it's offering itself up to that that greater the, the meaning making, but also the recognition or the acknowledgement that there may be something bigger, something beyond the I or the self that's at work here. Right. And like you said, mystery, which is not knowing, right? Like mm-hmm. opening up to both those things. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And how that offers itself to curiosity. I mean, I'm curious because I don't know and it's a mystery and I want to find out. And, you know, it's like, woo, that, that brings me to what I would love. This feels like a, almost a return to um, what, really got me to want to keep going back to to the church that I had been going to because we always have notes and it just felt like oh I get to put pieces of the puzzle together and I'm seeing clues after clues after clues and this feels really fun because I'm I'm experiencing a, a, a newness in my own spiritual my center I feel more grounded I know I don't look for affirmation out here or in this friend group or this friend group I'm, 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 I'm talking with a puzzle right now <laughs> and something greater. And this is something that the world can't take. It's something, you know, it, it's, may it be with that part posture, that, that, that's the posture and the lens that I, I pray to, to hold on to, or to, to revisit, to, to pick up again when looking at text or scripture, to be quite honest, because I think at divinity school, it's a lot of, you know, you can easily, I know I felt a little jaded with even looking at texts at, at some point. So thank you for that. Um, thank you. Yeah. For that rich, just reflection. <sighs> wow. So here we are. We're doing the do as we do. You already know it's me and you. <laughs> I'm so silly. You didn't even get into talking about financial health. It's like, I... <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I did say that we were going to talk uh, this season about financial health and well-being and, you know, always through the lens of how our creative, how the creative process can enhance our spiritual and mental health. Um, and so I think we really um, explored that, that today. Um, and, um, I mean, if, if, if you have an idea or you want to like offer up financial, I mean, we, (laughs) I mean, yeah, the immediate, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm, when you told me that the the theme of this season is financial health, I was like, man, I gotta listen to the episodes (laughs) because I certainly don't feel like a, um, a lot of knowing or uh, expertise when it comes to financial health. Uh, So excited for the rest of the season. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, I I love how you tied that in perfectly because today we we talked a lot about not knowing. 
Um, and perhaps it's fitting that our first episode where we're trying to, where we are calling in, uh, you know, conversations around financial health and well-being. I think for a lot of people, the question mark is there of not knowing, especially when you're, um, that's not really, I don't know, that's not prioritized. I know at least for me, that's how it felt. That's a big reason why I, why I intend to, to tie that into our conversations because um, as I learn, I'm realizing how much I don't know, but also how much I would never know if I didn't continue to ask these questions. So I think that's a perfect way to, to wrap, wrap, wrap us up. <laughs> the big answer today for financial, how financial health relates to the creative process, mental and spiritual health is acknowledging the question marks, what we don't know about it. That can feel daunting. Well, this has been delightful. <laughs> um, thank you all so much for listening. Um, you're listening to WMBR 88.1, Break the Boxes Stories. I'm Esmira, and we spoke with Alexa Kleinmeyer today. Um, links to any references that we talked about will be in the show notes, and you can feel free to um, visit us at our website, breaktheboxes.org slash BTB stories, which will also be linked. Um, we're on Spotify, Apple, and all your streaming platforms where we archive our conversations. Um, and if you enjoyed this conversation, I invite you to go ahead and rate us on Apple. Um, your support allows us to continue to do our volunteer work here. <laughs> so Thank you so much. And until next time, stay lifted and stay blessed.